This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Rise and shine, football fans. Dig out that jersey soaked in tears because it's time for Mackie and Judd's Vikings heartbreak pecking order. Jerseys soaked in tears. Judd is still in Philadelphia. I beg of you. My sources are telling me you guys aren't kidding about going. I love me some Ruby Tuesdays. Don't get me wrong, but we're you're going there in, next. You're in Philadelphia. Go find a local place. Go go get a cheesesteak, something local for your last meal in Philadelphia. If we you were going to go to a chain, if we were going to do that, Phil, we would have gone yesterday. Now, now we did, as I've explained to you, go clothes shopping and pick up some toiletries. Wow. Uh, but we are not with a six o'clock flight. We have to return the rental car if there was ever hope of us going to a local establishment it was monday and that did not happen what what was dinner last five hours uh four beers (laughs) dinner was four beers four beers were they local uh, beers or did you just go mick golden's yingling okay i went downstairs i had four yinglings for dinner while collar worked upstairs (laughs) i went and got a bag of peanuts from the hotel cashier And uh, potato chips. You couldn't take an hour. You couldn't take an hour to go, go somewhere local, immerse yourselves. I did. I went downstairs and drank the <laughs> local beer. I did something incredibly local. I went down and had a beer that once I get home, I can't have. All right, fair enough. So yeah, four delicious Yinglings that were fan flipping fantastic. <laughs> beer, potato chips, and peanuts for dinner. He is yeah. a cultural master. <laughs> And I and by the way, How I did are you not still alive. I did not wear my shorts. I wore my jeans. I classed it up. Classy. So the obvious question after Sunday's loss, where does it rank? Uh, my hashtag was added to the list. So <laughs> I saw that. let's let's reshuffle our lists. Where okay. does it fall? Vikings heartbreaking losses. Where do you put it? You go ahead. Okay, I'm going to uh, I've got a list of six here, okay? Okay. So I will start at number six. Number six on my heartbreaking list, 2015 first-round playoff loss to a Seattle at TCF Bank Stadium, the Blair Walsh miss. Early-round playoff game, so it's not like you saw that team actually making a run to the Super Bowl, but nonetheless, with the way that game ended, it was heartbreaking. Number five, and this is probably too low, but I don't recall it. I just know about it. 1975 divisional playoff loss on the Hail Mary Pass. Dallas 17, Vikings 14. So if I had been around for that game and watched it, I'd put it higher, but I didn't, so that's number five on my list. Number four, the ball going off the hands of Darren Nelson in the end zone that would have tied the game at 17 near the end of the game. NFC title game 87 against the Redskins is number four. Number three on my list, and this is where where I think the debate can begin, I am actually going to put 2009 NFC title game lost to the Saints, 38, uh, 31-28. I put that three hmm. because that season was a lot of fun. Brett Favre stood to get you there. That team was 12-4 and four and really good. But I never 
since the exact magic around that team that I did, the 2017 Vikings. I'm going to put that number two on my list. The loss on Sunday, not because it was a close game that broke your heart at the end, but because when you look at the opportunity that was presented to a team that we didn't expect, I mean, we expected, I think, that they might be good, but not 13-3 and three good. And then you look at all the things that went right, and defense players didn't get hurt, and and the uh, the complete miracle 61-yard touchdown pass that beat the Saints. When you look at all of those things that are coming together, and the Super Bowl is in your town, and you're thinking, this might be destiny, and then you lose that game, that's number two. Hmm. And number one, I think uh, this game will probably not move for the rest of my life, at least, in my opinion. 15-1, and 98. You are, through halftime against the Falcons, up until the half of that game, at least, you look absolutely fantastic. That team was so def- uh, or offensively dominant, high-flying. Randy Moss, 98, remains the loss to the Falcons, number one on my list. All right, so uh, speed through those again. Those are your okay. uh, Vikings heartbreaking loss leaders there. You have six of them. One, the 1998 title game loss to the Falcons. Two, the loss on Sunday. Three, the 2009 title game loss to the Saints. Four, the title game loss in 87 to the Redskins. Five, the 75 divisional playoff loss to Dallas at Metropolitan Stadium. And number six, the Blair Walsh wide left kick against the Seahawks 2015 TCF Bank Stadium. Those are my six. So I actually have 10, and one of them has two. I put two in one of them. Wow. So I I did a full, I mean, honest, you could go 15 deep on this list. Vikings heartbreaking losses. Uh, Two things. Number one, before I get to my list, let it be known, for anyone who rips me as the young whippersnapper, not respecting heartbreak from the 70s, Judd just left off all four Super Bowl losses from his heartbreak list. So, and I'm not even like debating it. There's a lot. There's a lot of meat on the bone there that you put on your list. Yeah. But people always rip me like Royce. Oh, you know why? You know why? Because I told you this all last week. If you're a Viking fan, getting to the Super Bowl was good enough for me. Okay. I wanted you. I I basically took this list to mean you at least got to that game. And I disagree, as you're going to see with my list. Mm-hmm. Honorable honorable mention for me actually is the 1987. Uh, conference championship that Darren Nelson played, and I and I put it I put it outside the ten for this reason. If you watch that play over and over, degree of difficulty was higher on that catch than people give it credit for. Agreed. I'm not a hundred percent sure it would have been a touchdown even if he catches it, and because so, he was right on the doorstep, he could, he could have stumbled, and then they have to go into overtime still. So uh, so some factors make that eleven on my list. Okay, number ten, forty one donut. Pleasant surprise to be playing in that game after the heartbreak from the the previous two seasons. But you had a first-year starter in Dante Culpepper. It never fully felt like a championship team. They got smoked, so it's number 10 on my list. This is a sneaky one, number 9. The 1999 divisional round loss to the Rams, and I put it as a heartbreak because there was still some hope that those Vikings that just broke the single-season offensive scoring record the year before, that they would show the Rams who the best offense truly was. I mean, that's what it was billed as, right? Greatest show on turf against the Randy Moss Showtime offense, and Jeff George was the new quarterback. High-flying Rams. And you thought, for a while there, as a Vikings fan, you thought, you know what? This offense is going to show that offense who the boss is, and the Rams absolutely throttled you in the second half of that game. 
Yeah. Number eight, the Blair Walsh miss wide left from 27 yards. The, the Seahawks were an absolute force at that time in the NFL. And you had kind of arrived early as a franchise under Mike Zimmer, and you had him beat. It was the coldest, most memorable game, you know, in recent Vikings history in terms of weather. Mm-hmm. Number seven, the first Super Bowl loss against Kansas City. And it's not higher because it's only the second playoff appearance ever at that point in team history. It was a fresh, younger team, late 1960s. So it's number seven on my list. Number six, the second and third Super Bowls I'm putting as a tie, a heartbreak tie. People kind of forget the opponents they lost to Miami. Miami was like, if you include playoffs over that two year stretch, back to back Super Bowl wins, they were like 30 and two, including an undefeated season the year before. Those were better teams than you, absolutely. Yes, it was a Pittsburgh dynasty yep. in the third Super Bowl. So, yeah, like you lost four Super Bowls, but you also, I mean, for God's sakes, you lost a, a, an impossible to beat Miami team and a Pittsburgh dynasty. Number five, we agree uh, in the range here, the Pearson push-off game. Divisional round game, not a Super Bowl, not a conference championship, but some people argue, this is before I was born, but some people argue that might have been the best Vikings team ever to that point. 12-2, and two, they outscored opponents by 200 points in the regular season. Yep. Number four on the heartbreak list, the Brett Favre interception game, the 2009 NFC Championship game. Interesting, okay. Number three, and I didn't experience this one, but I'm putting it, I'll explain it. 1976, the the last Super Bowl loss, so the fourth Super Bowl loss. Fran Tarkenton was 36 years old. You kind of knew it was coming to an end. It was the end of an era. So you, you, you go to the Super Bowl. It's your one last shot. You don't have to play the Dynasty Steelers. You're past the Dolphins at that point. You run into the sort of the upstart Raiders, and John Madden had yet to win a Super Bowl. Um, and, and, and this was your last shot, really. I mean, I know they went back to the playoffs a few times and Bud Grant was still the coach, but your quarterback was aging. So to know that that was the end of maybe a window or the end of an era for those fans, and I wasn't alive, but I'm putting it number three on the list. I'm going to tip my cap to a previous generation of Vikings heartbreak. (laughs) And you and I agree. Number two, the loss on Sunday and number one is 1998. Uh, so 98 still the king of the hill with you just didn't see it coming. I mean it was a home game. You didn't respect the Falcons. Your your high powered record breaking offense. You didn't see it coming until the fourth quarter. And for for one half in that game, for the most part, you were really good. Yes, yes. The first half you were really good. So let's let's do this. Let's pause because you and I are both making a pretty bold claim with all of the Vikings heartbreak and history, four Super Bowl losses, all the other games we have on this list, the Pearson yep. pushoff game. Uh, other modern Vikings losses. We're putting the Sunday loss number two on this list. Is it recency bias or is it objectively top two heartache in Vikings history? Let's expand on that and we can take phone calls. Are we way off base here? 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. You can tweet at us at 1500ESPNJud at Phil Mackey. Judd still stuck in Philadelphia. Mackey and Judd. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Yes, sir! On 1500 ESPN. All right, Judd is uh, still in Philadelphia because travel and weather and all those kinds of things. So closed we, runways. Closed runways, everything. 
So uh, you and I just ranked our Vikings heartache pecking order, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I drew my list out to like eleven. You just went with the essential six pack, but we both agree. <laughs> good. Yes, we both agree. Nineteen ninety eight is number one, mm-hmm. and we both agree that the Sunday loss in Philadelphia is number two. So let's expand on that because I think there's different generations of Vikings fans that would say, "Oh, come on! Like four Super Bowl losses; those have to be above." Yep. I put the I put the fourth Super Bowl loss number three yep. above the Brett Favre interception. So why do you rank Sunday above all those other maybe old school losses? Recency bias, Phil, is not it. In my opinion, it's perspective on this franchise, and it's perspective on sports. This season, everything went right for you. Your quarterback, your starting quarterback came in after the first game and said, my knee is killing me, I can't play. And you turned and looked at a guy who you signed away, won your contract, a career backup, and he stepped in and played really well for the most part, right? Dalvin Cook goes out in week four, and you're like, this could be a problem, and it's not. Your offensive line is rebuilt and plays great. Your defense, for the most part, has health throughout the entire year, and it's very, very good. The perspective that I have is these type of things don't happen on a yearly basis. Next year, guys are going to get hurt. Things could go wrong. Think about the amount of things until Sunday's loss that didn't go wrong ever, that didn't go wrong at all. So I look at 2009, and I look at this team, and I say, okay, Favre Favre certainly had a great year. But if I look at those teams as a whole, the 2009 team I thought was very good and very nice. But as this 13-3 and team developed and defensively at times was dominant, I said if you put the 2017 team against the 2009 team, I believe that Zim's team wins that game. This was a window of opportunity blessed with, for the most part, health and an incredible fortune with backups who played great. And I don't for one second expect that everything that went right for you in 17 will go right for you again in 18. So that's why I bumped a 2017 slightly above 09. So I, yeah, I, I'm with you. There's a there's a bunch of reasons for it. And number one has to do with the tension that builds up as a franchise continues year by year, decade by decade, through a drought or through... You know, in the Vikings case, it's not even a drought. It's just they haven't won their first championship yet because th- their first NFL championship was early in the Super Bowl era. So we don't count it like we would count the Eagles NFL championship in 1960. But that was that was the league, right? I mean, they had the AFL in 1960, but the NFL was its own league. They didn't have right. uh, th- there was no merger. There was no Super Bowl. Yes. So the, that Eagle- was it. the yes. Eagles can still claim that 1960 or the Browns, for instance, in the Jim Brown era, they that can claim championships. Game. Absolutely, yes. yes. So there's a it's a bit of semantics there, but I think as the tension builds up, there's a reason why the Red you know the Red Sox lost, I believe, a World Series in seven games in nineteen in the mid forties, like nineteen forty six, and and at that point it had been decades since they won their their last World Series. It had it had been like two decades, but as the as the decades pile on. And the tension mounts among the fan base, among the media, among the players and the stakeholders, you know, in the organization, losses matter more. So it's not that it, people are going to say, wait a second, a Super Bowl loss is always going to be more devastating than a conference championship loss, period. But I disagree. If your franchise is still relatively new and, and it's 1973 or 1976, 
Those are devastating losses, but you've only been in existence for like 17 years at that point. When the Vikings lost their first Super Bowl, it was their second ever playoff appearance. It was kind of like when the Carolina Panthers went to a Super Bowl in the early 2000s. Like, they they hadn't been around that long. Yeah, does it suck to lose on a last-second field goal to the Patriots? Of course. But it's going to be more devastating if the Panthers still don't have a championship in like 50 years and they get and they bring the best defense in the NFL to an NFC championship game and get beat. I think history matters. The piling up of history and tension adds to it. And the fact that your calling card was the best defense in the NFL and you got absolutely run out of that stadium. Yeah, 38 points by a backup quarterback in Nick Foles. Mm-hmm. So it, it all the ingredients, the blowout. You didn't expect that. You expected to win. It wasn't really house money. People say, well, Stefan Diggs, the miracle play, it's house money. It's the opposite. The pressure to build that play up into one of the great plays in NFL history by paying it off for a Super Bowl right. raised the stakes of that NFC Championship game, and you and you failed. And unless you're unless you're the Patriots, you cannot count on success on a year to year basis, right? Look at the look at the teams that made the playoffs in this conference last year. And if I'm not mistaken, the Falcons came back and that's it, correct? The Giants went from a playoff team to 3-13. and 13. Everything went wrong there. Yeah. So so the point being is this is one league where it can fall apart as quickly as possible. I mean, go, go back to the top of the show. And you go back and look at the 2000 Vikings go to the conference title game. The 2001 Vikings come back and go 5-11. and 11. The 2010 team goes 6-10. and 10. The 2016 team goes starts with five wins and everything goes wrong. So there cannot be a presumption that that success, un, unless you're the Patriots, there can't be a presumption that success will will simply be built upon. Everything went right for you, and you got to Sunday and got absolutely waxed. Uh, people are strongly disagreeing with us on Twitter. Six five one six four six eight two five five eight seven seven six one five fifteen hundred. A.T. chimes in, says, recency bias is strong for Mackie and Judd today, saying that 2017 was a more heartbreaking loss than 09. But here, That's craziness. But here, but here's why. If, you, if, if this list was just the games themselves, like yes. just the games, then 09 takes the cake. I get that. Agreed. 98-09. But A.T., what we're, what we're trying to say here is opportunity. As a season went, opportunity. And you were coming off a game that you should have probably lost, and you won on a last-second play that made you say there might be something special here. Yeah, I would. That's I, what bumps it above 09 to me. These four boxes are are checked, and they're very important. Home Super Bowl at stake. Actually, it's five boxes. Home Super Bowl at stake. Potential legendary play and moment that you can that you can elevate to you know to this completely new level. The Stefan Diggs miracle. It's still a great play, but it means less because they didn't pay it off. Best defense in the league going into the playoffs. Added years between 2009 and 2017. That's eight extra years. That's like a fifth of the franchise's life. Eight mm-hmm. extra years of of tension and misery. And you were facing a backup quarterback. In 2009, you were facing Drew Brees. And Drew Brees was an MVP caliber quarterback even in 2009. And he's gotten even better since then. So, like, we're kind of splitting hairs a little bit. If you want to put a lot of it's personal choice. If you want to put the night, the, you know, the 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 2009 game ahead of this, I'm not going to fight you to the death on it. But I think it to say it's recency bias is wrong. You're not considering all the other factors. Let's take a call here, Judd, okay. from Mark. Go ahead, Mark. 
Well, good afternoon, gentlemen. Hello. You guys aren't even close. <laughs> I've been watching the Vikings since 1968, and um, in the panoply of all the different disappointments that they've given us, you have to put at least a couple of the Super Bowls in there. Well, we, we did our rankings. You probably missed our first segment on this. I've got right. the fourth Super Bowl, number three all time, and the other mm-hmm. two, and the, and the second and third ones are close behind it. So, Well, right, but to me, um, probably the most disappointing loss in the playoffs for the Vikings was 1974 when they got robbed by the, uh, by the referee. The Pearson push-off game? Yeah, yeah, Drew Pearson pushed off. I mean, it's an obvious, obvious fall. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't just that. It's that the 74 team was probably the best Vikings team of that era that they had. I mean, they were firing on all cylinders going into that game. And it wasn't just the push-off. There was other things that happened during that game that were questionable calls and questionable decisions. and, And as a Vikings fan... It was just, um, it was devastating. Now, they did go on to go to another Super Bowl and lose, but they were not the better, they were not as good a team in 75 as they were in 74. Yeah, and, a lot of people say that the Pearson push-off season, like you just said, Mark, was maybe the best Vikings team to that point in its history. Yes, I would. that's what I'm trying to say, is that yeah. they were probably better than they had ever been, and I don't know if they've ever been that good as a team since. Now, this loss that we just experienced, it was tough, but I think, I think you guys are and uh, have a little bit of recency bias because, to be honest with you, I really went into that game expecting them to lose, even though I hoped they would win. But um, they've just – this has been the Vikings – yeah, it's so until un, until Mark. It's a great phone call, and until they Thanks, re, until they rewrite their own story, Judd. This is mm-hmm. this is it. But I think Mark almost in a roundabout way proved our point for us in that Mark comes from the early the the 1960s and 70s generation of Vikings fans. But now you've got the, these other two generations from maybe the 90s and now the 2000s. This loss on Sunday weighs even more because now it's multi generational. The heartbreak too, like you're adding layers of oh, most, new yeah, fans to the heartbreak. Like you're picking and, them up as you go. And and Sunday's loss too uh, is an interesting one because it came after what was probably the most fortuitous lucky break in franchise history, right? Or yeah. one of them. I mean, when you when you throw up what amounts to a desperation pass with 10 seconds left, and that son of a buck is not only caught but taken in for a touchdown, like that's when you start to think to yourself, wow, this is interesting. And I challenge you to give me a play, a playoff play, and I don't think that you can, in Vikings history that is the same as that play. You can't. So, I mean, there's no, yeah, there's yeah, nothing right. in NFL so, history. So, so the point, the point being is now, now we we are used to heartbreak as far as Walsh misses, Anderson, same thing, right? Now we've got, oh my goodness, it, it happened for us, and now you're going to go play a team, and you're f- favored in that game, and you're thinking to yourself, this might finally be the year, and you go there, and you don't lose, you get destroyed. Yeah. So, so. That's where where this defeat on Sunday becomes its own entity. To me, is it now goes in sort of a new pile, which is fortuitous game before it. You're thinking to to yourself, this might be destined at least for them to play at home, 
and then they go and absolutely get you know blown off the field. Yeah, if if you want to make a point for the 1970s diehard Viking fan, yes, it was early in the franchise's history, and so you had you had a lot of time to you know to make up for it, and it hasn't happened yet. But imagine this four-year stretch, and a lot of listeners didn't just imagine that they lived through it. Super Bowl loss, Super Bowl loss, Drew Pearson push off, Super Bowl loss, yep. four, four straight years, and yep. then and then losing in the conference championship game in 1977, uh, and then losing in the playoffs again in '78, and then it was kind of then it was a lot of like seven and nine, nine and seven tapering off, and then yes. the end of the Bud Grant era in the early 1980s. It was just kind of a it, some, sometimes the era ends abruptly in Vikings history. The Bud Grant era just tapered off slowly for five years. Of like nine and seven, seven and nine football into less Steckle, and then I was going to say, and then to so, rejuvenate so, it. So then Bud stepped down, and you get Steckle, and you're thinking, oh, "Wow, I, I don't know how this is going to go." And you go, "What win three games?" Yeah, and then Bud has to come back and save you again. So. Yeah. All right, Dave. What kind of questions are you going to fire at us when we come back? Most excellent questions, Phil. Most excellent ones. Vikings, maybe a little Wolves related as well. All right, Judd's in Philadelphia still. Another couple segments here, Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. This is like a marriage. Mackie and Judd. Might be boring, but it's stable. On 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackie and John. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. All right, Mackie and Judd. Judd's in Philadelphia still. Uh, you guys are making big lunch plans, a little, little salad bar at Ruby Tuesdays. Just a hey, classic Philadelphia joint, that Ruby I went, Tuesdays. I went salad bar yesterday, so I'm thinking maybe burger today. Oh, back-to-back days at Ruby Tuesdays. Big back time. To, no, no, no. This will be back-to-back-to-back. Wow, three straight <laughs> days. We went on Sunday before the game. Then then we went for lunch after the show on Monday. This will be trip three. What is wrong with it's you guys? It's the hat trick of Ruby Th- Tuesdays. This is it. So I love when we go to Fort Myers and Judd and I get a week in the sun and baseball talk. But there's like when we go places where you and I differ the most... You pick one usually chain restaurant, Applebee's in Mankato, and that's where you're just going to go every meal, every day, same chain restaurant. Yeah. What? Why don't you guys want to explore the culture, Florida, Philadelphia? Go immerse yourself in the in the city's culture, seafood in Florida, whatever. Go get a cheesesteak somewhere. I enjoy consistency. There's and a Ruby find... Tuesdays in Roseville. Like you can go there. It's anytime really you good want. too. I go there. It's really good. <laughs> See, I knew it from from going there to eat lunch with Dawn, and so I said to myself, Ruby Tuesdays, heck yeah, I like the salad bar. It's a really good salad bar, by the way. What is wrong with you guys? I'd be happy to do an an endorsement for their salad bar, because I can tell you right now, it's an outstanding salad bar. So many opportunities. A wide variety, too, to choose Personal shots there that I will avoid. Ruby Tuesdays. A wide variety. Spice of life. David? David, Dave, Dave just quit. Actually, I, I, I'm, I'm checking out. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Oh, for the you've day. been checked out for two years now. Oh, oh, no, I should, I shouldn't have said that. Just, for <laughs> oh, he ripped me or before. It's fine. It's fine. The fact that you think it's only been two shows how much attention you've been paying. Uh, all right, you are Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman. All right. You're together in a room today. Nice conference room. There's a big whiteboard on the wall. And you've got all the players on the roster written down, and you're going to put them in one column. You're going to move them to the definitely going to be here in 2018 column. Probably we think we'd like to have them here in 2018. 
or there's no bleeping chance they're on the team in 2018, whether it's free agency, you're going to trade him, you're going to cut him, they want to leave, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Give me three names right now that are in that third column. That you just don't want them back for sure. That either you don't want them or you know they're not coming back. Uh, Michael Floyd, I don't know. He didn't really do anything. He didn't. He did absolutely nothing. He's a very solid guy. Yeah, to kombucha. Like... There was yeah. Why did they go? Kombucha. Why did they go through so much with that? If he was going to be such a non-factor, that I would just weird. released. I would have just released him at the time and said, "Mike, it didn't work out. Sorry." It is weird. I would put okay. They give up an actual draft pick for Tremaine Brock, who just played special teams all year, and wasn't even really a standout, was he? He was just on the team. So I would say those two guys are in that category, and then I think Joe Berger is going to stick to his word and retire. So I would say you're going to be looking for a new starting interior offensive lineman, though. So two of them, I think you just say goodbye to. One of them you'd like to have back, but he's going to retire. Uh, I will. I think your first two are are very strong. Floyd, you you went through a lot of work to get him, and he did nothing, so he's gone. Uh, Brock was was a guy that, that you got for depth and didn't work out or played on special teams. Uh, my third one, though, I'm going to go with Sam Bradford. I don't trust it. Like with with Bradford, I'm convinced he's got a chronically bad knee that is never going to be the same. And so if I look at uh, Teddy and I look at Case. I hope that Teddy is back. I look at Case as objectively as possible. But Bradford, I think if you sign him and you play him next year, you might get four games in, and guess what? That knee starts to give him problems. It starts to swell. So Bradford's my third based on the fact that I think as far as reliability goes from him, it's basically gone. And if I can't trust him, I can't play him. He's a temptress. He's the he's the NFL temptress, though. You know he's had... 18 surgeries on his knee. You know that he's mostly underachieved in his career to this point, and he's been in the league for closer to a decade than not, and yet he somehow still pops up and teams give him a shot every year. Former number one pick, yes. but, so but I, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to rule him out entirely because they could bring him back on an incentive-laden deal and pair him and Teddy in training camp and save, all right, may the, may the, may the least damaged knee emerge. Yeah, I, I just don't trust it. Not one bit. Your Timberwolves, if the season ended today, would be the third seed in the Western Conference. They are a half game up now on the San Antonio Spurs, who are, you could say, reeling now with Kawhi Leonard being out again. Boys, if this keeps up, if the Wolves enter the Western Conference playoffs as the third seed, Mm-hmm. And let's say, barring any injury, any major problems, you know, Butler and Crawford come back just fine and there's no other issues. Mm-hmm. Is there any excuse to not make the second round and make one a hell of a series out of it, with which would probably be the Rockets? I would say no. I, I, I believe, and write that down, two weeks back, I picked them to play OKC in the first round and to beat them. I think if you are fully healthy, uh, with the style that your team prefers to play, which of course includes lots of defense, I would be I would be disappointed if they didn't win. If they're the third seed, a first round series. After that, it gets it gets very tough. But I would be the answer to your question. I would say that you should have every reason to be expected to win that first round series. Uh, I, I I'm I'm gonna two part answer to that question. There's only two teams that they wouldn't beat in a first round series. They will and it, that that 
includes uh, the Spurs if Kawhi Leonard's out. If if Kawhi Leonard comes back and they get like a four or five matchup or something, or they have to face the Spurs at some that that would be difficult. But as of right now, as the NBA stands, they would beat every other team in the Western Conference, not named Golden State or Houston, in a seven game series. Now Oklahoma City. That's they might go six or seven games with some of these options, like an OKC. New Orleans is kind of figuring it out. Boogie Cousins went for 45, 24, and 10 or something absurd last night. Yeah, I saw And a that. bunch of blocks. I feel yeah. like he can do that whenever he wants, but only chooses to do it about 10 times a year. He's yes. incredibly talented. It's fleeting. But the second part to Dave's question is, and make it a hell of a series in the second round, I think the Wolves, as currently constructed, would get beat in five games or swept by either Golden State or or, or Houston. So I think they're gonna I think they're gonna win their first round matchup and then get run out of the arena four times by either Golden State or Houston. There's too much of a gap between the made three pointers uh between those two teams. And you think about how great you have to be if Golden State and or Houston is making like ten or twelve or fifteen more three pointers in a game than you. Are you gonna be that much better in rebounding or or you know paint points like you have to make up some other area in a big way to beat one of those teams even in a game forget about beating them four times in seven games so but that would that would still be a successful season if they could get the three seed and then beat new orleans in six games in the first round and then you know i don't know get beat by the rockets or whoever gets the the, let's say that be the number two seed uh, that they would have to play if the standings held so basically the spurs are going to fall a little bit without Kawhi to the sixth seed. Wolves are going to keep the three. Kawhi's going to come back right in time for the playoffs. And- <laughs> and exactly. Play get exactly. Bounced. Get yeah. bounced in six. That could very, very easily happen. Final yes. question. Judd, remind us all what you are wearing right now. Uh, I am wearing uh, my black mesh shorts and, more importantly, my uh, my 2017 NFC North, or, I'm sorry, conference champion Eagles t-shirt. And last night you went down to the lobby, was it? Uh, or maybe it was earlier today with your uh, mesh shorts and the tube socks that you pulled down to look classy? That's that good. was yesterday, and that's absolutely correct, yes. Wow. <laughs> you have you have characterized what I did yesterday correctly. I'll, I'll add, since you're painting a visual of Judd Zolgad, the Judd that we know, his mailbox at work here has been jammed for, I believe, three years. If you walk by, everyone's got kind of a cleanly little mailbox, except for Kenny, who still has his Christmas cookies in there. <laughs> Uh, so See, that I, would be I have no in food in mind. There's no food in mind. You don't you, know that. I don't know if you can be sure about that. I think last year's Christmas there cookies are still in, your in there. I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, the question is, uh, <laughs> since Judd dresses embarrassingly once in a while, and we all do, we're guys, uh, something you either are or should be embarrassed about still wearing and or something that your significant other is embarrassed to see you still wearing. <laughs> Where does the list start for that one? Yeah, the second one is an endless list. Like uh, pretty much everything could be construed. You're as gonna you're really gonna wear that? Oh yeah. Yeah. And you're going to work? Yeah. Yeah, that's all the time. Or the aren't you gonna iron that? No, 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 no. no, no. Probably no, not. It'll work itself out, hon. I'm I, walking out the door. I still have in my repertoire, this is the oldest shirt I have that's still in play from nineteen ninety five. Wow. I have a shirt That's in play. 23 years. So, and, and mind you, I wasn't a grown adult in 1995. I was 10. <laughs> so I still have a shirt in my repertoire from when I was 10 years old. Yeah. Remember the Bud Light slogan, I love you, man? Of course. Yes. It's a, it's a Bud Light man. shirt that says, at the time it was like, I think it's an XL that 
was way too big when I was 10 and now it fits me great. It just has giant armpit holes and a couple holes around the back of the collar. <laughs> How it black just are is, the armpits? They're not black. They're kind of yellowish, but yeah. they're but they're cut out. Oh. They're naturally uh, eroded. <laughs> There's... Yeah. And so it says, I love you, man, on the front, and on the back it says, but you're not getting my Bud Light. How often do you wear that shirt? Oh, now, I mean, it's it's so fragile now. I don't wear it very often. <laughs> and I love it. And I can't come to, I can't bring myself to throw it away, because it's my oldest shirt. It's a geriatric shirt. shirt. I do have a Bon Jovi shirt, one of those, like, <laughs> baseball sort of three-quarter sleeve shirts that's definitely older. It's from a 1987 Slippery When Wet tour. That I just bought on eBay at some point. Yeah. So that's the oldest shirt I have. But the one, like the oldest shirt that I've had in my possession the whole time is from 1995. That's really it's pretty impressive. embarrassing. Yeah, that's really impressive. What about you? Uh, so, so to answer the second uh, part of your question, which for me is more fun, David, uh, my problem is this: I can't tell what things match and what don't. I have no clue. How, that's not that hard. Like so, the well, wait, wait, wait. But the worst was was one day I was going to wear. It, it was a summer day, and we were going downtown, and I was going to wear my checkered shorts, and and I thought to myself, well, this checkered shirt matches my checkered shorts perfectly, and I'll wear them together. Yeah, if you want to look like <laughs> Howard Cosell in the sixties. Well, and Dawn, Dawn tried to explain to me. Well, actually, at first she said, you're not serious, are you? And I said, yes, I'm very serious. I think that these two things match. They're checkered. And she said, you do get that you look like a complete fool. And explain to me why you can't wear checkered shirts with checkered shorts. But to this day, I still struggle because I think to myself, well, this is green and that's green, so it's going to all match together. Yeah, and, and you look I like find, a Teletubby. Well, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And so I think I've improved, but I'm not quite sure. That's what, the worst. But like, yes. But how? Yes, hard, okay, just on your own, without without Dawn. Yeah. Can't you make the decision? I don't want to dress in full green from head to toe and think like <laughs> well, that. I, I don't want to look like a stoplight. I thought it all matched together. I thought green and green would be perfect because it all matched. I didn't understand that checkered on checkered does not have a good uh, look. <laughs> I would I would think if it fits together like a puzzle that it would be a good look. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't understand it didn't. And the really unfortunate thing is this is probably five years back. So I was probably 43 at the time. Remember all of this, listeners, when Judd is trying to deliver a serious Listen, uh, when it comes to sports When it comes take. to sports, I'm beyond reproach. When it comes to life, <laughs> I struggle. Oh, my God. All, all I know is I went downstairs last night at this hotel, and I pumped my hard-earned cash into the economy by buying four Yingling beers and I got laughed at for it. I mean, I was I was giving to Philadelphia last night after they took from us on Sunday. You are special with a capital S. Uh, we have one more segment to go. We're just going to let Judd talk about fashion to, to wrap things up from Philadelphia. Before we go anywhere else, if you would like to make between thirty dollars and $60,000 more than you thought you were going to make on the sale of your home, Listen up, because Chris Lindahl, which is the number one REMAX results team in the nation, is offering all of the tools you need to make a ton more money on your next home sale with the Seller Workshop taking place January 29th through the 31st. So it's happening next week. It's a three-day workshop, and seating is limited. They're going to sell out sometime this week, so make sure you visit SellerWorkshop.com or call 763-401-SOLD. 
I have personal experience working with the Chris Lindahl team. It was about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, that my condo sold for a lot more money than I thought. I put my uh, the whole process in great hands with the Chris Lindahl team. You can do the same thing and even go a level up by taking part in this seller workshop. Again, January 29th through the 31st, sellerworkshop.com or 763-401-SOLD. Mackie and Judd now continue on 1500 ESPN. New today on digital from director George Clooney. Don't miss the darkly comedic thriller Suburbicon. Matt Damon, Julianne Moore, and Oscar Isaac star in the film. Critics are calling smart, funny, and entertaining and full of twists and turns. Get Suburbicon on Fandango now, two weeks before Blu-ray. Rated R from Paramount Pictures and enter to win a digital HD download right now on the 1500 ESPN stream player. Incredible season for us uh, as a family. Uh, it's been an incredible season for us as a, as a team, uh, the family team. And, uh, you know, it's uh, just can't say thank you enough. Uh, that's Case Keenum. And uh, talking about, he's a free agent. He's talking about the great season he had, obviously, in 2017. We ranked our Vikings heartbreaks, heartbreaking losses in franchise history. And people disagreed. We both we both said the game on Sunday is number two behind 1998. And a lot of people are vouching for 2009 on our Twitter feeds here. This is from MN Sports. For me, the 09 season was the biggest heartbreak because I think we had the best chance to win the whole thing that year. Our defense was too hurt in 98, and this year we would have been playing the Patriots. Could have beat the Colts in 2009. It was That's a great a chance. Point. It was a great chance. Yep. It was. Yep. We're, we're splitting a lot of hairs with this heartbreak conversation. Here's why you guys are right about Sunday being more heartbreaking. You went in with expectations that you were going to win. You went in with a great defense. You were going on the road as the favorite, as a, uh, what, three-point favorite, right? Yeah, against correct. the Eagles, against Nick Foles, who was supposedly crappy, and you got six different kinds of you-know-what kicked out of you. <laughs> yes. Now, here's why you're wrong. Okay. Because 2009, you went in with no expectations, knowing that, yeah, our team's really good, but the Saints, holy crap, they are really good, too. They've been stomping the NFC all season. But... God, those expectations, those no expectations turn into we are going to the Super Bowl. Judd, you've said it many times, Chip telling you in the press box, hey, yes. hey man, we going to the Super Bowl. Yes. It <laughs> yes. was that moment where you absolutely believed, which you never got uh, this past Sunday. You're up 7 nothing, and then obviously everything went to hell. Versus in, in New Orleans, it was the moment that, yes, this is absolutely happening right now. Here's why why Sunday is so disappointing, though. You were built on something that you should be built on, and and you have cultivated and developed and have a defensive coach, right? In 2009, it was a lot of fun, but that was far basically coming in and flipping off the Packers for 16 games. And, and that was, holy bleep, Brett Favre is playing for the Vikings, and that defense was not great. So that season was fun, and that was a good team. And, and Favre was the addition that gave that team certainly a chance to win a title. But nonetheless, I thought the stability of this team was greater. And that's why it surprises me. You know, I've never thought about it this way, the 2009 season, but because the whole season, like you said, was a double middle finger tour, just yes. an anti-Green Bay tour for him. Yes. But Green Bay was his first and deepest love those Packer fans, Lambeau Field, it's almost like in the end, 
he couldn't bring himself to finish off the Packers. <laughs> you know, it's like it's almost like as he's rolling out to his right, he was thinking about those Packer fans in Lambeau Field and said, I thought this is what I wanted. I thought I wanted to ultimately stick it to them by winning a Super Bowl with the greatest rival of the team so, that I divorced. He or turned that divorced on himself? Me, and that he said, I can't. It's like when you're, um, there's all, there's movies like this all the time where you're about, it's the, the kill shot's about to happen and then someone comes to their senses and thinks, I can't do this. I once loved this person, right? That's that's what it feels like when I think back on the 09 season. It's Darth Vader killing the Emperor, but you guys don't understand Star uh, Wars spoiler references. Spoiler alert. I don't, I, and which one? You just ruined it for me. I was going to watch all of them tonight when I got home. I hear they're showing him at Ruby Tuesday. Six five one six four six eight two five five. Hey George. Yeah, a couple things. Uh, that seventy five team that everyone talks about was yes. extremely overrated. They didn't beat a they didn't beat a team with a five hundred record all year. If you go back and look at their game log, um, they were everybody. You know, the, the Central Division was down that year, and all their opponents. Were, uh, all, all their wins were against sub-500 teams, and that Cowboy team was not very good. They were a wild-card team that barely squeaked in. On the 0-9 team, I agree with what Dave just said. You spent the whole game waiting for the Saints to keep the, to kick the crap out of you. Then they finally get the ball back to the last drive, and you're thinking they're going to the Super Bowl, and then it gets yanked away. So that's why that's the most disappointing for me. And then a question for Judd. I wasn't able to make the hockey game last night. Obviously, you weren't either. Who replaced you in the suite? Well, I'll, I'll hang up. We're talking to him right now, Mr. Hockey. Listen, Mr. Listen, Puck. Listen, George, They, you think Judd's Mr. Hockey. This guy right here, this guy was the I replacement. I mean, you called him possessions before, but we cleaned that up to shifts, and once we did that, you were fine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Hey, here just some more uh, Vikings heartbreak, just factoids. The only three times in the last... 25 years that the Vikings have outscored their opponents by 100 points or more in the regular season 1998, 2009, and 2017. <laughs> there you have it. So it all comes together. And they, George, did it, they did it a few times in the Bud Grant era, too. All George, Super Bowl losses. George is right. In 1975 Central Division, the Lions finished second at 7 and 7. The Bears were 4 and 10. The Packers, 4 and 10. The Packers were a disaster for like 20 years. Oh, right? the 1970s for the Packers were awful. They were a complete laughing stock, basically from the '70s through until Holmgren got there in '92. Yeah, they were a joke. We have already. We aren't going to unveil any of these because they're all kind of in pencil. But we we're going to be in Radio Row all week next week, and we've already got a, a two or three really fun guests that we're lining up in person, including someone who's going to hopefully teach Judd how to do a really cool touchdown celebration. So we'll just tease that for next week. In mesh shorts. Hopefully do you don't wear, wear mesh shorts to or Radio Row. Or do have to wear Row. real pants to, uh, to this event. Pants are not Radio optional Row. for Radio Row. <laughs> Good luck getting out of Bye. Philly. I hope we do. Judd and Colin. Ruby Tuesdays, here we Philly come. for four days, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Mackie and Judd. Find our on-demand stuff at the show page, 1590ESPN.com.